Susie Maxwell Bernie. She won 11 times on the LPGA during her career, a tour career that spanned incredibly from 1964, wait for it, to 1996. Four of her victories were major championships. In the day, the 1965 Western Open was a major. She also won three U.S. Women's Opens, 1968, 1972, and 1973. Only six women in the history of the sport have collected three or more Opens. And that's a list that puts her in the company of Annika, Babe Zaharias, Mickey Wright, She's also one of only 22 women ever to have collected four or more majors on the LPGA Tour. Golf came to her late, started around 15. I want to ask Susie about that as well. And then what she did once she got bit by the bug and, and started to play in high school and even more so in college And then what she did after she was done in her competitive days when she went off to become one of the most respected teachers of the game in the game. Absolute delight and honor to welcome Susie to the program. Congratulations, my friend. How are you? Oh, thank you so much for having me on. I'm just great. Thank you. Fantastic. Yes, our pleasure to have you on indeed. All right, so I want to go back and find out kind of the the roots to all of this. Pasadena, California, 13 years old. You guys move to Oklahoma City, and my understanding is it wasn't until after that move that you started to dabble in golf. How did that take place? Well, I really didn't start to dabble in golf until I was 15, but uh, when I was about 13 and a half, my father, we had a small acreage in Oklahoma City. My father was asked to take care of one of his co-workers' horses, and actually there was a filly. The mayor had a little colt. And so I fell in love at about 13 and a half till I was about 15. I fell in love with the horses, and I took care of them. And I actually had my folks say we couldn't afford to keep them because the coworker said you can have them because he's not coming back to Oklahoma. And uh, so my folks said, well, we can't afford to keep them. So I went over to a golf course, lived about two miles from a public golf course. Two of my three brothers were caddies over there. And I asked the pro if I could caddy. And he looks at me and he says, girls do not caddy. <laughs> I didn't know what he, I didn't even know what a caddy was, okay? I just knew they carried a golf bag, bag around and my brothers brought all money. So anyway, that happened in uh, the early June of uh, summer. About two weeks later, um, there's a bridal path around this public golf course the Shriners had built. And they had beautiful Palomino horses, and they used to train there and ride their horses on this bridal path. So I took my horses over there, and the first time I'd ever taken the colt out of the pasture on lead rope. And I wasn't paying attention. The next thing I know, the colt got loose from my hold, and it's running over this uh, beautiful mowed area. Uh-huh. And I chased the colt on the mare. And later on, I found out I ran down two fairways and over a couple greens. And uh, in the chase, there were guys on uh, Cushman vehicles chasing me. And they did help me catch the colt. They were screaming and yelling at me, and I'm crying. And they took me back to the pro shop, a golf shop, and they said to call the police. 
well, here comes this gentleman out that I had met a couple weeks ago asking if I could caddy. And it was, they had professional UC Ferguson there. And I'm really crying. I was scared to death. And uh, he, Fergie asked me where I lived, and I told him. And he says, look, he says, you teach my two young children how to ride, and we'll forget this all happened. So for a summer and a half, I used to, every Saturday, he'd drop his children off, and I'd teach him about horses and how to ride and everything. And he kept, my family became pretty good friends with his family, his wife. And he kept finding out that I, you know, did other sports with my three brothers and kept asking me if I wanted to learn how to play golf. And I said, now that silly game, chasing that ball? No, no way. Well, finally he says to me, and this is when I'm about almost 15, I guess. It was June, I was 15 in July. And he said, there's something I want you to see. I said, well, can I ride my horse over there? And he said, yeah, tie it up behind the pro shop, golf shop. I didn't know what the word pro shop meant. And uh, so he takes me down this hill. And these people are all kind of in what I thought a horseshoe shape. And they're, someone's laughing. They're all laughing. Well, it was Patty Bird giving a clinic. And if you've ever heard Patty give a clinic, it is so funny, it's unbelievable. And I thought, well, if that's what golf's like, I want to try that. So uh, Fergie, we call him Fergie usually. And uh, so he gave me a, a couple golf clubs and he gave me tips about, you know, I'd go over and hit some balls or try to hit some balls, and he'd come by and give me a couple tips. Now, only five-minute tips maybe here and there. Never really had an hour lesson from him, I don't think. But I just fell in love with the challenge of trying to hit that bloody golf ball. And uh, I just got addicted to it. And when I was 16, I sold my horses for a car so I could drive to the golf course. And I, I just uh, fell in love with the game. And from there, it took off for you. That's a lovely story, by the way, Susie. So from there, it took off for you. you by the time you got into high school, you played, and you played with some degree of success, I should say. You won three straight high school championships was it if he didn't give you much of a lesson with Fergie after he shook you down for the horse lessons was it just was it just about your natural athletic ability that you were able to connect or did you did you read books or where did it come from that you that you became so good so fast well first understand in high school i think the first two years the first year especially there might have only been five girls playing in the state high school chat and then i'd okay. call my other Girl, I'd call, I'd con some of my girls that play. I played baseball with and stuff to play golf, so I had, could have a team. And my senior year in high school, we took a team to the state. And of course, you know, uh, some of the girls would shoot 150, but we had a team. And um, I, you know, I just, I just got addicted to it uh, in that way. And I was fortunate that uh, my high school that I went to in Oklahoma City. You know, they had what they call fifth-hour sports. And all girls had to take some type of sport, whether it be basketball, badminton, ping-pong, tennis. And so they let me just do tennis my senior year. I mean, golf my senior year because I did tennis uh, my mm -hmm. freshman year and sophomore year. So then I just I fell in love with golf, and uh, my brother still caddied. And uh, I just got to where I just loved it, and they let me – Fergie let me go to Lincoln Park anytime and hit balls and play anytime. Gave me a set of clubs, 
and never charged me for anything. And, um, you know, he, he did just give me tips. I don't remember ever having a bona fide full-hour lesson from him. He never charged me a dime. But he taught <laughs> me good basics. And he had a real good swing. And Mark Hayes, who played the men's tour, and Danny yeah. Edwards yeah. both learned from Fergie. And really, I think we learned by watching him swing because he had such a good one. Now, that set of clubs that he gave you, do you remember what they were? Pettyburg. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, yeah, definitely. Well, there was nothing else. I mean, I was honored. I got for Christmas, actually. First, I just had a couple clubs handed to me. They were beat up and stuff. But then one Christmas, uh, I was, I guess I was probably 15. And I, the Christmas when I was 15, I was presented a set of Pettyburg golf clubs. And I know Fuggy gave them to my dad because my folks didn't even know what golf was. Um, and I know Fuggy must have given them to my folks because they didn't have any money to speak of. And so they were Patty Burgs. And wow, I wish I still had them. But I gave That's them to great. a friend. Yeah. When when you got to school at college at Oklahoma City University, you joined the golf team, which wasn't a women's golf team. Your coach was named Abe Lemons, a, a famed basketball coach. And then the the rumor is, the legend is, that he used to list you in the light up as S. Maxwell and he called you Sam to hold off for as long as possible before people realized they were competing against a female. Is any or all of that true? Oh, yeah, that's all true, yeah. I was given a scholarship to OCU, and it just paid tuition. And then UC Ferguson, actually, along with some other businessmen in Oklahoma City, created what they call Golf Incorporated. And every year they give four senior, high school seniors, uh, money to go to college. And I think I got 500 semester, and I stayed at home. So, actually, I think I made money going to college. And, uh, yes, they had OCU wanted to start a girls' golf team, but they could never find another girl at the time. So I qualified for the men's team, and Abe was our chaperone, and he was so funny. Um, we were playing Wichita one time, and we're getting out of the school van, and the Wichita coach says to Coach Lemon, hey, uh, what's S, S, does it stand for Steve, Steve or Sam? And, Abe says, well, it's Sam. Sam will do. And, of course, uh, I get out of the van, and this poor kid that I was going to play, he just was shocked. <laughs> I, have to play girl. I think he said, I have to play that girl? But I had a lot now, of fun, and I think playing, playing on the uh, men's team really, I think, helped yeah. me advance my game. I bet. And I, I have to – I have to. I, in my mind, I'm going back to your brothers and wondering – if there's a pattern here that we're seeing of, you know, the kid's sister and it makes you tougher because you're determined to do what you're going to do and you're going to prove yourself. And here you are once again in that role on the men's golf team at OCU. And you're, you've got you've got skills and obviously you've got talent. You're going to go out there and prove yourself. And then it help, ends up helping you later on. It, it, am I reading that correctly? Yes, you are. Yeah. Yeah. And you know something interesting? I am actually still doing a survey. Um, of how many of the successful women on the ladies' tour uh, have a lot of siblings that are brothers. Uh, Patty Sheehan has three. Terry Steinhauer, three. Pat Bradley, three. 
Meg Mallon has six siblings, so I don't know how many are brothers, but I think having brothers younger or older, I had two older and one younger, uh, you know, it made us competitive. You ended up joining the LPGA Tour in 1964. I'm curious when, why, how did you decide that here you were telling us earlier your parents didn't even know what end of a golf club to hold on to, and you decide that you're going to become a tour pro. How did that all come about? Well, there were two uh, young women on the tour, Beth Stone and Becky Cohen from Oklahoma, and I had beat each one of them in the state women's amateur tournament. And I'm saying to myself, I remember, shoot, they're out there making money, and I beat those two. So uh, in 64 in May, I played my first LPGA tournament in Muskogee, Oklahoma. I finished sixth place and won $400. Ooh. (laughs) Yeah, I was rich, you know. I went back the next year and won the tournament, beating Mickey Wright, and I first place was $1,200. So I was off to the races. I thought. You know, it's in, it's interesting that you mentioned Mickey Wright because not only did you did you beat her in the rest of the field in, in your first victory, you also beat her in a victory at the 1968 U.S. Open. Were these LPGA superstars, prolific winners such as they were, were they stars to you when you came on? Were you familiar with the tour and, and who you should or should not look up to? Did you did you understand the weight of these players? No, I really didn't. I, I First time I was ever paired with Mickey Wright, I was scared to death. I was petrified. Um, and Mickey was so nice to me. And, you know, at that time on the tour, I, I believe – I'm probably maybe not totally correct on the number, but I bet in 1965 we didn't have but about 50 players in any event. And the mm-hmm. older players like Mickey and Patty Berg and Betsy Rolls and stuff, you know, they realized the only way for this tour to grow was to have new players come out. And they were very nice. Most everybody was super nice to, to the rookies and, uh, Mickey Wright even gave me a lesson one time, saying, can I help you? You you need to do something. And I went to the range, and she was trying to help me shorten my golf swing because I had a pretty long one as a kid. And uh, they were super nice to me. And once I I didn't, I I tell you, I did not know what I was getting into when I first joined the tour. I had no idea. Uh, But, you know, you learn pretty quickly what it's all about. And you learn the ropes. You learn how to travel and where to travel and, uh, you make friends out there, and they help. Marlene Hagee was a big help to all the rookies. She kind of felt like she was, she acted like she was our mother. She looked after mm-hmm. us a lot. And she was very helpful, along with a lot of the other players. The older Which players. is ironic, because when you won your first major at the Women's Western, that's who you beat by three strokes. I mean, there's yeah. so many head-shaking things about your career. <laughs> yeah, Marlene and I are still good friends, and we still laugh about that one because I was six shots back going into Sunday. And um, I think Marlene might have been paired with Mickey. And Marlene, she tells me, I was just, even this last year we were talking about it, she says, I said to Mickey, this is Marlene saying to Mickey on Sunday during the round, hey, there's someone out there, Susie. She's, 
she's making a charge, and Nikki said, "Ah, don't worry about her." <laughs> I, I, I ended. <laughs> I ended story. up. I six. I one putted the first six greens at Beverly Country Club. I do remember that. It was a very tough course. I was the only person that week that had a round in the sixties, and that was on Sunday. So I just had my putter going. So you didn't. Susie Maxwell Burning is our guest, who's going to be enshrined forevermore in the World Golf Hall of Fame. You didn't have any fear, did you? Did you have? Did you feel nerves, or or did you benefit from not knowing what you didn't know? I think I benefited from not knowing what I didn't know. Is exactly that's a great way to put it. Yeah, I really think that's probably the way it happened uh, when I first came out there my first year. I didn't know what I was doing. You know, um, really didn't. Um, and then, you know, even after a while, I got enough confidence in myself that then I, I liked the competition. I, I never played really good if I wasn't in contention. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> um, but when I was in contention, you know, I, I really bared down and um, sometimes I was successful. You know, it's interesting that you said that, Susie, because seven of your 11 wins came in the decade of the 1960s. Yet two of your four majors and two of the three U.S. Opens came in the 1970s. Then you had a blip of playing really well in 1984, and then you played all the way 13 events in 1995 and your last in 1996. So the arc of success that you had clearly was on that front end. I'm assuming that life started to intervene, uh, becoming a mom and all the rest that goes into it. How would you describe your, your competitive path? Well, yes. I mean, I did get married in 68, and when I won my first Open, I'd only been married seven weeks. So my mind really wasn't on the golf tournament, I don't think. Mm-hmm. And then I think, I think really, if I look back on it, in 72, my, my first daughter was born in 70. So in 72, she was just a year and a half old, and then in 73, she was two and a half, and so... Once I walked off the golf course, I was able to go back and spend time with my young child, and so my sure. mom was really off of golf. So that was to my advantage. You th- was that to your advantage? Again, here we are talking about. You said if you're not in contention, you really didn't focus all that well. My my word was that. Right. Do you think, in other words, eleven wins? but four of them as major championships, you have to wonder how massive your ceiling could have been, except you chose that you were going to live your life and do what you want, you wanted to do, and, and part of that was being a mom. Oh, yeah, I, I definitely chose that, and I have no, no, no looking back on that one. I mean, I can say that my two daughters are two other majors, frankly, um, and uh, it turns out that my oldest daughter ended up going to college on a golf scholarship, she played in San Jose State for two years, and then she was transferred to Ohio State and played on that golf team. And we were actually the first mother-daughter to ever play in a LPGA event in San Jose. Oh, that's so, cool. Yeah. And she didn't take up golf till she was 15. I think she just purposely waited. She tried all other sports. Uh, she wanted to, you know, didn't want to play golf, I don't think. But um, after she wasn't a good track player, or track star, I should say, wasn't too short for basketball, too short for a lot of sports like I am. Uh, <laughs> and so she took up golf at 15, and, you know, by 18, she's got a scholarship. 
That's tremendous. What was it like in the, can you remember those, those early days of the middle 1960s and onward? What was it like to compete on the LPGA back in those days? It was a lot of fun. I, I think, I'm sure they have fun now, but I think we had more fun. You know, we were just one big family. And, you know, you knew all the players. You, a lot of us, oh, we'd stay at the same hotel. Um, we'd travel in caravans together. Uh, Marlene Hagee, she was a kick in the head. She would find rental apartments or houses. And Judy Rankin and Leslie Holbert and a few others, we all go together and rent this apartment or house. And, of course, Marlene would be our cook, too. She loved to do that. But so we had, you know, we had fun. We did practice rounds together and having fun. Uh, today it's big business. Then, then we played golf. I played golf to win tournaments. I sure didn't play golf for the money. Uh, you know, we definitely wanted to not go in the hole. But um, big business, I think, has changed golf some. When did it change in your parents' minds and eyes in terms of what golf was? When did they come around to, to who you became as a professional touring pro? You know, I, my folks never really, uh, you know, understood the game that much. Dad came to one tournament. <laughs> if you want to hear a funny story, um, I had just, I think this was 19, probably 1966. I just had enough money to buy a new car. And I just bought this new car in Oklahoma City. And I was driving to Beaumont, Texas. And I ran into the back of a dump truck that was stopped at a stop sign. Fortunately, I was only going maybe five miles an hour, but I wasn't paying attention. So needless to say, I did damage to the radiator of the car. So I made it to Beaumont, Texas for the tournament, and the car went into repair. My dad shows up surprising me, and so he's, we're going to go to the golf course the next day, and he says, well, where's your car? And I said, oh, it's being serviced. Uh-oh. He says, serviced? He haven't put but 2,000 miles on it. He shows me, opens up this paper, and shows me on the sports page. And the title was Rookie Hits Town with a Bang. <laughs> and an article about me having my little accident. <laughs> that told me to never lie again because you're going you better not lie to your dad yeah so yeah. when you broke through when you want you, you tell me 65 uh, women's uh, western open 68 u.s women's open where did you grasp at that time the significance of the tournaments that you had just won oh i don't think i ever did you know i just they were tournaments i mean granted you know, something about the U.S. Open, though, and, and the, the Western Open was at Beverly Country Club, which is a very prestigious and fine country club. Very tough. Uh, the tougher the course, I think, to my advantage, because I never made a lot of birdies in my life. But I was a real good par player. And for some reason, my mind was set on par is really, really important. Maybe birdie wasn't so important. Jim Fick, who was my teacher later in life, he says, you don't try on birdie putts, but you sure try on par putts. And I <laughs> says, well, I don't mean to try harder on par, I mean, or less on birdies. But So it was to my advantage to have real tough courses because 
I think the only time I was under par was my third open at the Country Club of Rochester. Wingfoot, I think that was 11 over. I mean, people look at those scores nowadays and they say, oh, my, they can't play. But at Wingfoot, we, there were four par yeah. fours I couldn't reach in regulation. So, you know, the, the courses were longer then and tougher for us. And that's what it's Yeah, I mean, you're... Yeah. Your, your scores are 79 opening round at Wingfoot, then 73, 76, 71. Pretty solid. What was it, uh, Susie Maxwell-Burning, who will be inducted into the World Golf Hall of Fame, what was it about you physically, your career? How were you able to last as long as you were all those many decades? Well, frankly, I probably should have left the tour in about 90. And if uh, I go back... Once my two daughters started school, I played less and less. And then uh, I played only in the summer, probably in the late 80s and 90s. And both my daughters caddied. Robin would caddy for me and Cindy caddied for Lenora Rittenhouse and Patty Sheehan a lot. Um, Hmm. So, you know, that was something for us to do in the summer. Absolutely tremendous. Your career now, you as a person too, are forevermore going to be sitting in the World Golf Hall of Fame. Aside these names and more that we've been mentioning through our conversation with you today, what is it like for you, Susie, to know that you are going to be taking up a place alongside of all these heroes? Well, I'm I'm so honored. I, I really personally never never gave gave it much of a thought because I didn't think I'd ever be uh, considered for that. Uh, I didn't think I had enough wins, uh, number one. And, you know, I, I just never really uh, gave it much thought. And once they told me I was nominated, I thought, wow, you know, I can't believe this, and I still never thought I'd do it, get in. But I'm, I'm extremely honored, and, you know, just to be with, the gals that I played golf with for so many years, uh, you know, looking back at Patty Berg, she she was so nice to me, and I learned a lot from watching her play. And, you know, Betsy Rawls and Carol Mann and Mickey Wright and Judy Rankin, Judy and I are still best of friends. Um, keep in touch a lot. So it's just, just a great honor. I'm thrilled. And rightfully so that it is yours, the fact that you won four major championships the U.S. Open amongst them in 1968, in 1972, and in 1973, and then distinguished yourself after your playing days were complete as one of the best teachers of the game anywhere in the United States. Susie Maxwell Burning, congratulations on what you have accomplished. We're delighted for you, and we wish you and your family the very, very best. Well, thank you, and uh, thank you for having me on, and I just wish everybody to stay healthy in this time, and we'll get through it.